Welcome back to the DSO Decision Season 1, Episode 3, talking with David Cohen. David, hello. How's it going, Brian? Very, very well. Just back from a vacation and looking forward to talking with you today about enterprise value, prices, money, right? The big topic that everybody has. As a reminder for listeners, uh, this is uh, a series that David and I do uh, solely because we want to educate the industry. You'll notice there are no advertisements. Uh, neither David or I are really going to pitch hard our services. We're not going to have guests on that uh, have you know freemium links and other things to sell you. Um, David and I just, we deal on this stuff every day. We'd like to correct some misconceptions that are out there in the industry. And uh, we're going to try to do it in 20 episodes around the length of the average U.S. commute. So 20, 22 minutes, hopefully somewhere in that range. So with that in mind, David, let's talk about prices. And I want to tee this up by uh, sharing just the subject line of an email I got last week. And the subject line says, um, Florida practice collecting 2.3 million sells for $12 million. That's the subject line of the email. And this was a, a broker I'm familiar with, uh, and they deal a lot with uh, DSOs. And, um, you know, I, I see a headline like that or a subject line of an email. And if I'm, a, I don't know, like a brand new or D3, D4 dental student, I'm a, an associate looking to buy a practice. I'm looking at a headline like that and thinking uh, private dental practices are toast. DSOs are going to take over. There is no way anyone on planet Earth can compete with $12 million on a practice collecting, you know, less than three. And, um, and, but I know there's more to the story. So um, what, what do you think of when you see those headlines, David, and, and uh, people on Facebook swapping stories like that? Yeah, I think that the biggest misconception about that is that the, the person who sees that advertisement or hears that advertisement doesn't understand like what, what that 12 plus million really was, you know, what it entailed, right? So did that seller get 12 million at closing? Was it an enterprise value of the entire transaction that was valued at 12 million, but the seller did not get 12 million at closing? They got a certain sum of money at closing, which was accompanied by some stock, which was accompanied by um, you know, a hold back and earn out, which we talked about on, you know, prior, um, podcasts and we'll continue to do, um, as, as examples. And also too, was it a joint venture where, um, not the entire practice was purchased? Uh, and so I think the biggest misconceptions are, are that, you know, and, and maybe this was the intent of the ad is that people think that that person got $12 million at closing, which is not likely. Um, you know, when you see sales for $12 million, that's not likely the whole story. It doesn't yeah. mean it's bad, right. but it just, you know, I, I think the intent is to, you know, advertise as if that's what they got at closing. And that's probably not what, what happened. It doesn't mean they still didn't get a great deal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So I think no other subject can I think of that generates more questions, topics, um, angst amongst dentists as they're, you know, somewhere around the cocktail uh, lounge at a, at a conference or something than the, this subject today. Price, money, value. All right, so let's start with some definitions. You used a term enterprise value. We've talked about it a little bit. What is the difference between this term you're using, enterprise value, and what I think most dentists would use is just the, just the term price. Are they the same thing? They're not the same. Well, I mean, they can be the same thing. Uh, it depends on, you know, in a private deal, the price is, it, you know, is typically 
the value of the practice, the enterprise value of the practice. But in DSO deals, the enterprise value is typically a larger sum of money, but that larger sum of money. So I think enterprise value is very similar. It's just that in a DSO deal, there's a larger sum of money at play involved in the deal. And because dentists are so used to hearing purchase price, um, you know, and thinking that that is the entire value that they're selling their practice for, they don't understand that like when they hear enterprise value in a DSO deal, they can't just equate, okay, well, that is the whole price that this, that I would be selling for to a DSO. It's, it's the value that you would be selling at, but, you know, from an overall enterprise value. However, there are components of the deal in a DSO deal which would cause the seller to potentially not receive all that money at closing. So I think that's the biggest difference because there's a stock component, which still is valuable. And in fact, could be more valuable than, than, you know, the fair market enterprise value at the time, uh, you know, over time. Yeah. Uh, and then there's, but there's also holdbacks and debt and, um, you know, and earnouts typically. Mm-hmm. And also too, there's often a JV, a joint venture component where the seller is not selling their entire practice. Okay. A lot in there. We're going to talk uh, about all of those things. Let me summarize what I, I heard you say. Enterprise value and price can be the same thing. In a very simplified world, enterprise value and price are the same thing. But when we're specifically talking about a DSO deal, enterprise value is both the cash a dentist receives at the closing table plus all the assigned values of all the other things that are involved in the deal. Um, you mentioned a few like holdbacks and earnouts and stocks and, and other things, but it just in summary, enterprise value is, is yes, it's the price, but it's everything added up together. And what I heard you say, well, first, let me pause. Did, did I get that right? Yeah, that's exactly correct. I mean, I think that um, there's just, there's more that, goes into there's more value in a dso deal than there is a private deal so like yeah. there's no stock in a private deal mm-hmm. so the enterprise value is going to be lesser than it would be in a dso deal but it doesn't mean that the enterprise value isn't still meaning to right publish the entire amount of the practice of what that value is okay yeah and then i also heard you say that enterprise value let's say um i close on december 31st okay i sell to a dso as of january 1 my practice is now owned either wholly or in part by a DSO. Uh, and I and I got an enterprise value. Let's use my email example of, of $12 million. What you're suggesting was that because that enterprise value is broken up into different things, very sci- highly scientific um, finance term, David, things, <laughs> um, <laughs> that those, those things can and often do change in value over time. So over the next year, three, five years, the enterprise value of, say, my stock in the deal or an earn out or something may go up or down depending on you know, how the future plays out. That's correct. Okay. And also, yeah. too, just that there are there's more value added in a DSO deal because there's more there's more there's more value assigned by the DSO to the practice mm-hmm. and more opportunity for the doctor, typically. Like there's yeah. not usually an earn out in a private deal and there's not usually stock in a private deal. Okay. Yep. I'm with you. So let me, I'm going to give some advice. Then we're going to talk about how these prices are determined. Um, We're going to talk about some terminology that gets thrown around pretty loosely. (laughs) Um, But maybe if, if two dentists are golfing together 
And uh, one has sold her practice to a DSO and the other is thinking about selling her practice. And the two dentists are talking to each other and, and dentist A says, I just sold for $12 million. Dentist B could ask her friend, okay, I think the intelligent question to ask here is how much cash hit your bank account when you sold? Correct. Okay. Now, that sort of like layman dental dentist speak, I think that's really what they would be aiming at knowing in that situation. But it doesn't mean that the the other, you know, that the other stuff that the other money that they didn't that they didn't get yet that they have the opportunity to get isn't a great opportunity. No, totally. Um, But yeah, yeah, because the next question could be, oh, okay, how much cash did you get on closing date? When is the next check going to arrive and how much is it for? Right. Right. Yeah. And 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 I mean, the stock, there's no way to, to speculate what that'll be worth down the road. But that could be worth, you know, even more than sure. You know, overall, their whole, you know, what they, the deal they got could be worth more than 12, depending yeah. on what that stock ends up selling for and how it grows. The okay. stock value is the value as of the day of that closing. Yeah, that could be less. OK, so let's yeah. talk about how <laughs> enterprise value is determined. Uh, enterprise value, a.k.a. price. Um, let me, David, if, if you don't mind, since I do this all day, I, I value private practice deals multiple times a day, right? So hundreds of these every year. I know exactly how dental pra- practices are priced when sold to private buyers. And it's, it's a very simple process. The, um, oh gosh, the nutshell version is it's a combination of a couple different valuation methods. The first and most commonly used valuation method is just a percentage of collections. So I collected a million dollars last year. I'm going to sell for 90% of collections. 90% times 1 million is $900,000. So that's one very oversimplified uh, valuation method. The other is a percentage or or excuse me, a multiple of EBITDA. Okay. And I'm going to define these terms. So don't get too scared. Um, EBITDA stands for earnest earnings before interest, depreciation, taxes, and amortization. I, I hesitate. I, I use EBITDA so much I had to think about the acronym. <laughs> so uh, that's, but all that is, is that's just a finance way to say how profitable a practice is. Okay, so um, I, I like to tell uh, private buyers and private sellers, two dental practices that collect a million dollars are not equal, right? If my overhead, in other words, the cost to run practice A is 80% of collections. And the overhead of practice B also collecting a million dollars is only 60%. The owner in practice A is only keeping $200,000 a year in profit. And the owner of practice B is keeping $400,000 a year in profit. But they're both producing the same amount of dentistry, both in theory working, you know, about the same level of, of uh, effort. You know, so practice B would be worth more because you're keeping more of the profit. And, and what most um, uh, brokers, valuation experts, CPAs, what will they will do is they'll um, just meld those two valuation methods and get to um, a fair market value for dental practice in any given market. And often they're doing comparables and, and a few other things. So that's how you value a practice when you're selling in, in a private market. How do they do it in the DSO world? So in the DSO world, typically they value the practices based on a multiple of EBITDA and you just defined EBITDA. Yep. And so the, you know, the multiples that we're typically seeing are usually dependent upon a number of factors. 
Number one, is it a GP practice or is it a specialist practice? Who gets more? Uh, typically, the specialist practices yeah. are valued at a, at a higher multiple. And we'll get into numbers. You know, if you're listening and you're you want to know the numbers here, don't worry, we're getting there. Okay, okay. What else factors into right? And I think also what's going to factor in are some intangibles, like how badly the DSO wants that practice for various reasons. Um, It could be based on the location that that practice is in. It could be that they're really targeting that that you know area that geography, and they want to add to the geography, or it could be that they are not involved in that community yet and they really want to get involved in the community and that they've sort of like picked a landmark practice that they're going to want to buy. And, and in, that, in those cases, oftentimes the values can be greater. Um, and it. so I think, you know, the circumstances really depend on is it GP, is it specialist? How badly does the DSO want the practice based on just how great of a practice opportunity it is for them based on the geography location of it. Um, Also too, um, sometimes practices sort of like go in a group with the DSO, so to speak. And and there's, there's two sort of ways that that happens. One, it can just be a group of practices coming together, wanting to sell. And that's not really what I'm referring to here. What it, what it could also be is that, that DSO has a group of practices in mind that they want to buy in an area and they're almost like contingent upon each other. Like they would not buy X and Y practices if they didn't have the opportunity to buy Z practice first. And so like sometimes they all fall in line and they all are sort of contingent upon each other. So like if one is sort of like this landmark practice in that fold to know that if they buy this practice, then they are going to have they're, they're going to be able to close on two or three others as a domino effect. Then that can also impact um, you know the type of valuations that they're huh. okay. Let's let, let me. Um, I'm going to ask a question about EBITDA. Then I'm going to ask you for some numbers. I'm going to ask you for some ranges. And then what I'm going to finish with is I'm going to pin you, try to pin you down. And, and that's okay. You're a lawyer. You can squirrel out of my my attempts to pin you down. Uh, and and I'm going to ask you for like, you know, some specifics around how geography, profitability, some of those things will move the, the, the ranges you're going to give me up and down. But let me start with my question. Um, I'll answer my own question, but my question is, um, in your experience, what percentage of dentists actually know what their EBITDA is, know their profitability percentage? And, and my answer to that question is, less than 5%, like one in 20 maybe has an accurate understanding of what their EBITDA is. But what do you see? Yeah, I think that's accurate. I I was going to say the same thing. I think a very small percentage, maybe less than, like you said, less than 5% really understand that. Okay. So could, what, what is a, um, I've got a version of an answer, but if, if you were advising a dentist to go talk to their CPA, okay, they, they've outsourced, they've got a CPA that does some taxes and bookkeeping, um, in theory, that's the person that should know the answer to, you know, what is my profitability percentage? What is my EBITDA? That's um, correct. Okay. So I can go talk to my CPA. How do I phrase that question? Well, I think the, to phrase the question, it's important to just ask the CPA what their EBITDA is. Yeah, um, what, and what's then, my EBITDA? Yep. Right. And, yeah, then simple as that. and then they'll be able to know when the DSO comes in and offers a multiple of that EBITDA, yeah. what that what that is. Perfect. I've, um, as an accountant, I could, uh, phrase the question as, um, 
I want to know my pre-owner overhead. Okay. What does it cost to run my practice before I take any benefit as the owner of the practice? Uh, that could include uh, my salary, payroll taxes for myself, uh, you know, pension, 401k benefits. If I've got my spouse, my kids on payroll, uh, travel, CE, um, well, maybe not CE, but um, travel for sure, cell phones, cars, internet connection, all of the things that are sweet tax perks that are totally legal to do and you should absolutely run through your practice. Those, those technically are owner benefit type activities. And I want to know what does it cost to run my practice before I use any of those tax breaks? So that's another way you could phrase it to an accountant. And, and that accountant should be able to answer that question. By the way, if your accountant can't answer that question, uh, that might be might be uh, a separate set of issues. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. All right. So um, average overhead in the U.S. for all specialties, all general, uh, general specialties, um, nationwide, rural, urban, suburban, uh, the average overhead that I see is 61.7%. Is that close to what you see, David? I, I know that's not necessarily legal, but you're seeing numbers too. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the specialty of the practice, yep. but yeah, I, I would say that that's accurate. For the Specialists most part. tend to have lower overhead than GP practices. So that with the, if the average is 61.7 and you're a GP uh, that, that, you know, 65 give or take probably is pretty typical. You're an oral surgeon, pedo endo um, you're under 60, hopefully, right. Give or take uh, just to give the next layer, layer of detail. So with that in mind, okay. Um, let, uh, easy math, million dollars, um, 60% overhead means that $400,000 in profit is what the owner takes home. You're saying uh, DSO is valuing the practice based on that 400 number, right? Mm -hmm. there, it's a multiple of the 400, my profit. Right. Okay. What's the typical multiple? So the typical multiple is going to be for a GP practice in the four to six times EBITDA range as yep. an enterprise value. And remember, that means that they're going to value the entire enterprise that way. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to have they're going to cut that up based on different factors, um, it, you know, but that's it's between four to six for a GP practice. Typically, yep. for specialist practice, it's typically, I would say, in the five to eight range. Okay. Uh, it's rare if ever that I've seen higher than eight on a few occasions. I've seen eight to nine. I've never seen higher than nine. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I have had a group sell at 10, but that was a group of five practices and they, they weren't, they weren't affiliated with each other, but they all knew each other and they all decided to sell to the same DSO at the same time. And that, boosted their their multiple um, pretty significantly. But that's pretty rare. I mean, I would expect between five to eight if you're a specialist and four to six if you're a GP. Smart. So first of all, I love that you gave a high watermark because some dentist right now is listening saying, well, I'm going to be the guy that gets 11. So sure. <laughs> um, and, and I, that uh, that example, too, that reminds me of um, the the actor that plays Ross on Friends, David Schwimmer. Um, he went to the other actors and said, hey, we can we we can command more profit if we negotiate together as a group, which they did. And they each got, I think, a million dollars an episode or some crazy number um, versus if we try to, you know, kind of do this on our own. Um, OK, well, there, there's another reason. For that doesn't mean there's not outliers, you know, like right. I've seen a GP sell at seven before. Right. Yeah, and yeah. that's out of the range that I mentioned. So there are outliers. But yeah. So GP four to six, uh, in my example, $400,000 in profit. Um, 
Interesting. Okay, so uh, 1.6 to 2.4 million dollars as enterprise value, and then you said five to eight for specialists, correct? Correct. Okay, got it. So, huh. yeah, two million to four million for a specialist, specialist, uh, specialist in my example of profit, and that's a smaller DSO deal, million dollar practice. Okay. Um, yeah, so that that can be a pretty wide range, two million to four million dollars for uh, enterprise value. And um, okay, so what about geography? Does uh, rural, urban, suburban? How do how do you see that typically move those numbers, if at all? Um, I, I think that it the rural the rural practices can be lower valued, and I think it's because oftentimes they're harder to staff. Mm. Um, they're harder to find associates. You know, oftentimes these sellers don't want to practice forever, and they want to get out. Yeah, and you know, the DSO has to have confidence that they're going to be able to get associates in the practice that are going to be able to work there. So I think oftentimes you will see rural practices be valued at lesser um, just because of that. They're just harder to staff. Um, but it doesn't mean that's the way in every single case. Right. And it, it also kind of depends on how many years the doctor has left that they want to continue to practice and yeah. crank with the DSO. But typically the rural practices I'm seeing are are more difficult to sell and therefore um, can be valued at lesser. I see it as a, the, the theory behind a DSO is I can save costs by having multiple practices in a specific area, maybe do some branding and marketing that drives patients. And it's just harder to do if I'm in Dyersville, Iowa, and there's only X number of dentists in a you know 50 mile radius versus if I'm in downtown Seattle, and I've got you know 100 dental practices in a three mile radius. Um, in theory, I can I can pick up multiple practices in an area. So right, yeah. that too. Okay, um, um, let me think. Oh, what? So I'm a dentist. I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to be strategic here. I'm going to cut my costs and have a really profitable year. Uh, is that going to get me the top valuation number or? Are DSOs looking at multiple years worth of profitability data? What, what's I think, I think they're always going to look at multiple years of profitability data, but usually the valuation is based on the trailing 12 months. Okay. And I think that can be a benefit or it can be um, a burden for the doctor because we have some doctors who have crushed it every single year. They had one year that was kind of an outlier because they had surgery and were out for two months. And then, you know, the DSO sort of dings them for that because that was kind of the prior 12 months. But then you've also got practices that have succeeded in the prior 12 months, maybe more than historical. So, but usually they're looking at the prior 12 months. And then um, it, it can turn out, and I think we're going to talk about this in the next episode, but if I have a blowout year, I'm able to put a crown on everything that moves in, in my patient base and, and I'm showing some really high profitability numbers. I might have some earnouts, uh, some, you know, I might have some production targets that I have to hit after the DSO buys in order for me to get maximum enterprise value. And uh, if I have already put a crown on everything that moves, there are no crowns left. Right. And so it's going to be harder for me to hit some production target in the future. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And, and oftentimes those production, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but, you know, those production targets um, can be put in place to be a benefit for the doctor. Like, hey, doc, we know that you were out two months last year and that was you know, not your typical year. We'll give you an earn out of blank amount. And as long as you do what you did in all those years that weren't the years you had the surgery, then you're going to get the earn out and we'll pay you as if 
um, you didn't have that surgery, obviously, right? So that would be, that, that's all, always a possibility as well. Got it. Okay, super helpful. Dave, in the next episode, we're going to talk about some additional things that move the enterprise value up and down. If I, for example, if I'm a specialist and my potential range is two to $4 million on my million dollar collecting practice, of course I want the 4 million, but things like um, these holdouts, the earnouts, stock subordination, um, I would imagine, uh, you know, if I get all the cash up front, there's gonna be some things that move those numbers up and down. That's what we're gonna talk about the next episode. Yeah, look forward to it. That'll be okay. great. Thank you.